0: VOCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host, Patty Daly.
1: Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. It's Tuesday, October the 11th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly, and Fonce King is sitting in the producer's chair today. Let's get the week off to a flying start. That can only happen if you join us live on the air. So, if you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial is 273-5211. Elsewhere, toll-free, long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which of course is 8626. A nice calm blue sky morning here in the metro region. When I made my way from my vehicle to the staff entrance, the moon's still beaming in the sky. So, lovely day today and a belated happy Thanksgiving to you all. Hopefully you were lucky enough to be able to share it with some friends and family. And maybe even had the holiday yesterday like I was lucky enough to have. So a very happy Thanksgiving to all of you from all of us, especially from my family. And yesterday was a World Mental Health Day. Now we'll get a little bit more into mental health concerns a little later in the program because there are some numbers coming from the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner that I think we need to discuss. But let's ease into it just a little bit here this morning. So as you know, as a sporting fan, it's quite interested in watching the Toronto Blue Jays try to get past the Seattle Mariners in the wild card playdowns. What an epic collapse. It wasn't a comeback by Seattle. It was an absolute fold of ter- folding of the chairs by the Toronto Blue Jays. Lots of finger points of blame going around, but I don't know. If you want to play that game, let's go. On to the local scene. Hearty congratulations on a historic victory for the Holy Cross Football Club women's team At the National Jubilee Trophy Championships. They're national champions for the first time ever. Pounded Ontario 3-0. Went undefeated in the tournament. Only gave up one goal in the entire tournament. The Holy Cross Football Club women's are national champions. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Jane Pope co-shared the golden boot for the most goals in the tournament. Mallory Harris, of course, has scored more goals than any other player competing at the national level in the Jubilee Trophy since the year 2000. Many of these women have been together for quite a long time, so they won a bronze medal back in 2017, still have 10 of those players in the side, and of course, Harris is probably one of the finest soccer players we've ever developed. She's been playing with Holy Cross since 2018, but she's like 35 years in the sport, so she finally gets it. You know, you'll hear the the, the common refrain is, we've been getting our hat handed to us, or something along those lines, and now finally, finally, they are the champions of the country. Absolutely brilliant stuff. The Holy Cross men, bronze medal champions. They drilled British Columbia 6-1 to take the bronze medal. And curiously, and of course no surprise to soccer followers, Jake Stanford, head coach of both teams. So congratulations to you all. How about that for the Crusaders? Something else, boy. Safe travels home, because that is absolutely wonderful. All right, don't look now. Brad Guju and the new look team. They've won their 14th uh, Grand Slam tournament, won the Boost National over the weekend. And beat probably the very best team in the world, Sweden's Niklas Adin. So, that's a great winner for the new look team. So, of course, you know the boys. Uh, the new player, EJ Herndon, of course, replacing Brett Gallant. Joining Jeff Walker, Mark Nichols and Brad Guju. So, they are off to a rip, roaring start. And we've had an absolute stellar weekend at the Atlantic Challenge Cup Hockey as well. So, lots to talk about there on that front. But right off the bat, bravo on another historic win. The boys under 14 team uh, under 14 team, won the gold. Ethan Jones with a snipe in overtime to take it for Newfoundland and Labrador. And that was just moments after our goaltender, I can't remember his name at this moment in time, should have written it down, made an absolutely brilliant save and setting up the opportunity for Jones to score the winner. But we brought home other medals as well. So let's see here. boys under 15 is a 5-2 win over PEI to take home the bronze medal in their going around. Uh, Male under-16 got the bronze at the Elected Challenge Cup once again. Will Carroll scored the game winner. 53 seconds left in the third. Uh, U18 Provincial Women, they won a silver medal as well. That's unbelievable stuff. And a couple of personal shout-outs. Julia Butler, she's a member of the U18 AAA Icebreakers. She's been selected to play with the 2023 U21 Canada Women's Junior Hockey Team. They're going to, of course, be competing at the U21 World Juniors coming up in the Czech Republic July so congratulations Julia Butler Team Canada hard to beat a couple other personal notes before we get into it Ryan Green from Paradise he's now down playing in Hockey East as well of course we all remember that Alex Newhook played at Boston College Brian Green plays with Boston University with the Terriers Saturday night got three points and their 8-2 win over Bentley University first two goals of his Hockey East and NCAA career and for that accomplishment and for his hard work he's the Hockey East Rookie of the Week First Terrier to score twice in the season opener since the fellow named Patrick Harper did it back in 2016. Absolutely good stuff. Way to go, Ryan Green. And Hockey Newfoundland and Labrador joining with many other minor hockey associations across the country. They are not going to uh, forward on player registration fees to Hockey Canada. Of course, with the distinct failure leadership, the ongoing raging scandal at Hockey Canada, many of the associations, rightfully so, withholding that $3 per person floating to Hockey Canada. Something has to give. Tear it down, rebuild it. Everyone who had a role at any capacity, while all of these slush funds to settle lawsuits regarding sexual abuse at the hands of the players, they got to go. But good decision for Dr. Jared Butler, who is now the president of Hockey NL and his leadership team. That's the right play in my personal opinion. And the 10 looks like they found a new home here in the month of October versus the stifling heat. Remember, it was supposed to be run on the 24th of July. And because of the forecasted heat and humidity that day, they moved it off to this past Sunday. And it looks like it's the right move. I think the runners really enjoyed it. There was over 2,700 runners had uh, registered to participate. And the men's winner, Jordan Fewer from Corner Brook, 53 minutes odd, great time for him. And on the women's side, Kate Baisley, what do you know, her sixth Telly Ten. She was actually the sixth person overall to cross the finish line, in just over 56 minutes. So congratulations to all hands who made their way from Octagon Pond. Bannerman Park, no small feet. Okay, so that was easing into it. Now let's get into it. And this is a tale of also playing games, but these games are less than laudable. They're disgraceful. The ongoing tale, and all we do know that NALCOR has been morphed into Newfoundland-Labrador Hydro. And there have been changes made to the Energy Corporation Act for access to information. But still, when the Auditor General and the team went in to have a look at what happened in a five-year snapshot at NALCOR, then NALCOR, it tells the tale of entitlement, arrogance, and incompetence. Some of the numbers coming out of here are really enough to boil anybody's blood, especially when this is just a week removed from being told that... There's a fair chance that Muskrat Falls and its 13 plus billion dollar bill may indeed be in some form of stranded asset. The ongoing issues are absolutely endless. Now we're going to have to install an eighth generator, of beta spare, with the cost of some 522 million dollars. Holy Road has to remain in place so you cost the operations there and the fuel required, the number six diesel, make those new investments over a billion dollars. And then we have to put up with some of these numbers. Ay 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 ay. Okay, Miss Hanrahan has discovered. This is talking about employee expenses. Some things will just capture the headlines, but the problems are deeper. So they're looking at some of the expenses regarding parties with the booze required and tobacco products and buying a humidor for your cigars of all things. So here's some numbers for your consideration. on liquor, 272 bottles of various beverages at a convention center in Churchill Falls. Between 2013 and 2018 Nalcor Management also spent on average $240,000 per year on cash gifts and parties and golf fees for their employees. Now we know Jennifer Williams, the new CEO, has done away with the bonus policy. Long overdue, but good moves made in that direction. So let's see. There were caps on how much money could be spent on parties. There were caps on how much money could be spent on moving expenses, for instance. And in many, many circumstances, those thresholds, those caps were obliterated. Here's an idea. For anyone who went past the threshold, was compensated unnecessarily and unfairly because it's taxpayer dollar, how about this? You pay it back. How about we force you to pay it back? And if you're still on staff, how about we suspend you without pay until that suspension adds up to the money that you spend over and above what you're allowed to spend. I mean, there was one such moving expense. It was about $30,000 more than they were allowed to spend, and yet someone authorized it. So between those who authorized it and those who took that compensation money back, how about you pay it back? How about we force you to pay it back? I mean, enough is enough. You know, all the while, while we're looking at the pending doom coming from Musgrave Falls, and the need to invest in further island properties like Holywood and Beta Spare, and then we find this stuff out? Sure, it's great that there's been changes made. Sure, absolutely right. That does not change the water on the beans. Here would be a question. In 2007, we had members of the government spending some of their constituency allowance on baubles, right? On nonsense, and on ladies' drawers, and on art, and on wine. And when they were caught, some of them went to jail. So the caps, the thresholds were written down, black and white. Here's how much we're allowed to spend on the party. Here's how much we're allowed to spend to relocate you and your associated moving expenses. Can you not read? It might be a question with the obvious answer being, no, probably can't. Right? My comprehension skills might not be what's required to be in a leadership position at the most important crown corporation in the government because you did it to yourself. How about this? You pay it back. How about you pay it back? The story which is going to cause much more consternation, at least in this chair, is the the issue surrounding the embedded contractors. And we've talked about this over the years. At one point, there was over 500 contractors embedded inside the corporation. We didn't hire them on a part-time basis, pay them richly, have them on staff. No, we allowed them to submit expenses. We paid them an absolute king's ransom And there was absolutely no need for that many of these contractors. Now it's been whittled down to a few in this transition phase. But here's the larger question. Who are they? How did they get the contract? Who made the decision to hire these people? How many of them had former positions, whether it be senior bureaucrats or members of the crown, ministers of past governments, and were in this world, in this sphere? How many of these people were involved in any sort of kickback scheme? You know, why? it can't be the end of the road with just the Auditor General's report. It just cannot be. There is more to it than that. So these embedded contractors, unbelievable money. I've seen a couple of invoices that have uh, flowed from these people and their numbered companies to Nalcor, consequently to the government, and it is a whopping, whopping big sum. So frustrating, disgusting, intolerable, arrogant, entitled, incompetent, pick one because this is only phase one of the report coming from the auditor general so doing good work as that office always, always does so Miss Hanrahan thank you for the initial work and we look forward to the next findings but we cannot let that be the end of the story if you blew past the cap pay it back how about that what do you think all right uh, one second sip of coffee for after that outburst we're back this is always going to be the case. We see the story coming from Fogo Island their Mayor Andrew Shea. Talk about the fact that some residents, seniors in particular, have made the decision, they feel like they've been forced to move out of their home and into a senior's apartment simply based on the cost to heat their home. Simply based on the cost, nothing beyond having to heat their home. And yes, we can fold in the fact that there was a program launched last week where there be a one-time... $500 for those making $100,000 or less, and up to on a sliding scale, if you make 125000 or less, $250, we know that's going to cost some $194 million. It's going to be delivered to some 392,000 Newfoundlanders and Labradorians. So there's questions about how it was structured and the motivation and the timing. And We can talk about it from any angle. And for some people, absolutely, this is going to be just what the doctor ordered. But it doesn't do much beyond the one time. And I know we can't just throw financial caution to the wind and government be there for every single front, for every single person, regardless of the circumstance, whether it be fiscally for the province or individually for the resident, the taxpayer. So here comes the 500 announcement, and we don't know exactly when you'll get your check. You do have to have filed your 2021 taxes with CRA, and then you won't have to further apply for this money. It will simply just come to you. Direct deposit if you're set up. If not, you'll get a check in the mail. When? Don't know. By Christmas, I assume. But the you know, just a few days later, we see another spike in everything, and in this case, the price of fuels. Gas went up another nine point three cents on Friday morning. That was only after it went almost six cents on Thursday. Diesel up by seventeen point one cents. Furnace oil up again fourteen point eight two cents. Stove oil fifteen point four four cents. So the giveth and they take it, And so some of these boosts, and good for people who really need it and they're gonna get it, but the next step will be the structural issues. The next step will be some of the long-term vision to ease the inflationary pressure, to ease the cost of living burden that is absolutely squatting on the shoulders of Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Now some people can absorb it, some people can handle it, but we know full well, and you hear the stories, and we're happy to take your stories, Not so much for so many people, regardless of what we're talking about. Heating your home, filling your fridge, stocking the cupboards, filling your belly, paying the bills, looking at that credit card through squinted eyes, hoping that somehow, magically, that the balance is not the soul-crushing number that you've seen in the past. All right. Also last week was the first annual general meeting for the Newfoundland and Labrador Center for Health Information since the cyber attack. Now, I get it. They have been given advice by cyber experts about keeping their cards close to their chest, no telling us what happened exactly, who did it, ransom request. So it was a heavily scripted affair. They didn't take any questions. You could submit it through the chat room. Chat rooms are for fun, not for this stuff. Submit it through the chat room and maybe you'll get an answer to your question. But I think one important question that I know the advice has been quite clear from those legal and cyber experts. But what has been done? It's fine to applaud the team for the hard work required to get Meditech back on track. Absolutely, fair. But we need to know, was it all caused because of red flags from years past that opened up the cyber portal for this hack? What has been done to better protect our information, knowing that over 37,000 Newfoundlanders and Labradorians have seen their private information breached? So we didn't get any answers, but you know the deal. Sometimes answers are hard to come by. This one's difficult, but we can't shy away from it because it's just too important. And I did mention that yesterday was World Mental Health Day. We now have some new numbers from the officer, Office of the Chief Medical Examiner regarding the numbers of suicide deaths in the province. Between 2020 and 2021, they have increased provincially by 25%. In labrador grenfell Health Region, they've more than doubled. So we see 19 people uh, died by suicide in that region in 2021. That's up from nine in 2020. Eastern Health saw an upward trend. Central and Western saw decreases from 2020. So not the provincial number is 65 in 2020 to 81 in 2021. Nationally, some 4,000 people die by suicide each year, and that's according to the Canadian Mental Health Association. It's a hard conversation, isn't it? You know, we've experienced it in my social circles, here in this office. And we can indeed acknowledge that there's work being done, not quick enough, establish- establishment of online tools, and crisis lines, and different national organizations trying to do their level best. But to talk about it openly, being honest about it, and use the, ro- use the words, don't be afraid of it. So with anyone in your social circle, your family, that you think is struggling to the point where you, you don't want to intrude in their life, but it's not an intrusion if you're trying to help. And you'll know whether or not it's welcomed, and you'll know whether or not you're able to help and point them in or help them or nudge them in the right direction, but don't be afraid to ask the questions and use the words. You know, societal, suicidal ideation is, can they there's probably nothing more difficult to broach with someone you love or that you care about but we've got to stem that tide. There was a downward trend since 2018 but now, it, certainly in this province, it's taken a turn for what I would call the worst. And numbers that are concerning, and numbers that we need to talk about and to address so. If you are an individual thinking that this person or that person in and around you in your world, you think that conversation is required, please do it. Please do it. Uh, last one. Big loss for the province over the weekend. Philanthropist, big member of the arts community, John Crosby Perlin, dead at the age of 88. Known for a variety of things. I mean, most notably for most, it would be he was uh, the Canadian secretary to the Queen for quite a long time, but he did so much more than that. He was the cultural affairs officer for the province, put there by uh, then-premier Joey Smallwood. He was there at the beginning in the creation of the Community Sector Council, He was there from the beginning and a driving force behind the Flauvarium. He was still a member of the board of the Fluvarium at 88 years of age. He was named an honorary life president of the Brigada Committee. His impact across different realms of this province is very, very real. He was the instrumental in the establishment of the Duke of Edinburgh Awards here in the province. He's a recipient of the Order of Canada, the Order of Newfoundland and Labrador, commander of the Victorian Order from the Queen herself. Our deepest condolences, of course, uh, his cousin, Tim Powers, who sat in for me on Friday. So to his family and friends and to the people that he touched and the organizations he worked with, I knew John. Fine man. And it is a great loss. Our deepest condolences to you and everyone involved in the life and the times of John Perlin. We're on Twitter. We're VOCM Open Line. Follow us there. Our email address is at VOCM.com. When we come back, we're going to have a great show. I can feel it in my water. That's because you're on the line to speak with us on a topic of your choosing. Do not go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number two. Don, you're on the air. Yes, Betty. Morning.
2: Uh, I was just amazed that uh, listening to the news, I think it was yesterday, uh, when they were announcing all the emergency room closures and partial closures and, and video in the eastern Newfoundland region. Uh, I mean, it's just a terrible uh, situation. I was at the uh, annual general meeting of uh, Eastern Health there on the 29th of September, and the uh, interim uh, CEO got up and talked about what he perceived as the great successes of Eastern Health in the past year. But there wasn't one mention at the meeting of the crisis that is going on.
1: Well, there kind of was the, uh, the the way door? Mr. Well, there was the way Mr. Beard responded. I thought was very clumsy or ham-fisted, whatever people choose to say. You know, it was about the crunch and would we'll point to, in, in large part, nursing shortages in the emergency rooms. And his reference wasn't to the crisis. His reference was to the fact that it was unexpected. We didn't see it coming. The, the, this newfound quest for work-life balance. When, of course, we've been talking about exactly that for years. It's hard to have not seen it coming.
2: No, Petty, I was at the meeting, and the chairman got up and said, I guess we come to the close of business. I declare the meeting closed. I jumped to my feet and said, Mr. Chairman, are you not taking any questions from the floor? He said, well, you can talk to me afterwards. I said, no, 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 no. Now is the time to take questions from the floor, not in the hallway afterwards. So he begrudgingly allowed me to ask the question uh, about what was being done to uh, correct the situation in the ER, particularly at health science. Uh, it was my interest, but also uh, we know what's going on generally in this area. And so he then turned to the uh, interim CEO and, and asked him to uh, to comment. And he clumsily, like you said, uh, tried to blame it on the uh, HR problem, and uh, when he was done, I, I I I responded and said, "Wait now!" I said, "This ER problem has been going on for ten or fifteen years. This uh, the nursing resignations that are taking place is only in the last twelve, maybe eighteen months. So I said that uh, that is uh, is 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 not the primary purpose or the primary reason behind." Uh, the the backlog and waiting times in the the, uh, emergency room at the the health science complex. And what is not clear, whether my question and his answers are going to be in the minutes of the meeting or not. Was the meeting closed or was it reopened again uh, to to, to allow that to be uh, recorded?
1: Don't they ask for a motion from the floor? No. He just makes a declaration. Okay. All right. So whether or not during the minutes, I'm not sure what we do with that. But, you know, I unfortunately, or for better or for worse, I think about and talk about and hear about healthcare a lot. What I don't know is if I've heard any solutions that seem to be working in the short term. You know, there's been big incentives to bring... uh, Healthcare professionals back to the province. Big money. There's been big money offered to casual nurses to bring them on as permanent full-time. I mean, big money. $3,000 bonuses. Those types of things are out there, and seemingly not too many are taking them, uh, taking the health authorities up on it. So I really don't know where we go or what we do.
2: Well, why would a casual nurse accept $3,000 and have her uh, schedules fixed, not being able to get days off, not being able to get vacations.
1: Yeah, what would but you she suggest? She
2: can go part time and 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 de- uh, determine her own work schedules. So she can get paid twice as much. And if she's a, at a two uh, family income, she probably doesn't need the security of a of a permanent job. I mean, their lifestyles are much improved this way.
1: Yeah, but my it, <laughs> the point was. If the government is trying to incentivize as best they can, trying to f- uh, bridge or fill these gaps, I don't know what else can be done. We do know it's not all about money. Obviously, if it was, we wouldn't have a problem because we spend on yes. health care. So what do we do? How do you fix or how do you address a work-life balance without having more people available for the shifts as opposed to ER diversions and ERs being closed? I mean, Whitburn, their mercy room was closed for like 11 weeks straight or something. So that's the only question I'm asking, Don, is what do you yeah. actually do?
2: Petty, we've got to have better top management. The the, the management of of the organisation has just just been terrible. And and, and that's that's really one of the main cruxes of of the issue of our healthcare system. And and, and the government don't seem to realise that or or, or don't want to get involved or or doesn't fit their political purposes or something. And I don't understand why the people of this province are are, are not rioting in the streets over the, the uh, inability to get emergency services.
1: Well, I, I really don't know why people aren't doing one thing or another. But someone shared a story yesterday that, I mean, I wasn't there, so I don't know what's to it, is that there were actually nurses in the waiting room, which was full Begging people there to contact and to write their MHA about what is the crisis, the ongoing absolute crisis in the emergency rooms. People on gurneys in storage closets, people on stretchers out in the hallways, paramedics standing there for hours on end trying to offload their patients to the ER staff. People who are not experiencing whatever we call a legitimate emergency, not being seen at all. People sitting there for 10, 12, 16 hours. The stories are out there. They're told repeatedly. I know government hears them. I'm just coming up short with people who are actually proposing solutions that can work in the short term. I just don't know. I really do not. And I, unfortunately, as I mentioned before, think about this a lot.
2: I've got three years of correspondence with Minister Hagee, dating back to... uh, February of 2019, trying to bring this uh, issue uh, to his attention, and he keeps uh, saying, "Oh no, that's to be handled by uh, the regional boards. That's to be handled by Eastern Health. <laughs> you know, this is that. That's not a government issue. But who who's going to solve this if it's not the Department of Health, the Minister of Health? I mean, the Eastern Health. I've been going now for four years to their AGMs." Uh, the minister of health has never been there in four years. He doesn't send his deputy minister. What they're sending is the assistant deputy minister, who oftentimes is the most junior members, probably only been in the position a week or two. that That's, I mean, it, here we are with this crisis, and, and that's the emphasis that uh, our governments are, are, are placing on this issue. I mean, the, the minister should have been there.
1: Yeah, I, I suppose. And if he's going to be there, he has to be at all four Regional Health Authority AGMs, and that's not outside the, well, the realm of opportunity the or possibility. Eastern Health
2: is by far the, the biggest, There's just a tertiary hospital for the whole whole region. And, and of course, pretty soon, I, I, I guess it'll be, uh, it'll be just the one anyway. So mm-hmm. they'll have no excuse uh, for that uh, next time. But, I mean, but where's the Deputy Minister in the last four years? How come it's the junior member? Last year, she said she was in the job one week. One week. And and that's who who the government sends uh, to to administer the largest expenditures in the the provincial government coffers.
1: Absolutely, and it it includes everybody in the province. It might not be you today, but it might be tomorrow. Uh, Don, appreciate the time as usual. Thanks for the call.
3: All right. Take care.
1: Bye-bye. One more before we get to the break. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, Leah. You're on the air
4: morning patty how are you
1: great today thanks how about you
4: i'm doing great
1: what's going on
4: so uh you might remember me from last year some of your callers might remember me i'm the one that uh dressed up like rudolph last year and went around uh collecting donations door to door for the food bank for halloween i
1: do indeed remember that bravo (laughs) how did it work out before we get into this year's uh, event how did you make out
4: Oh, it it went really, really well. I uh, collected enough food for, I believe it was five families, to feed five families. And I also got a large bag of uh, feminine products as well to help out lots of uh, women in need. So I felt really, really proud of how everything went last year. And it was a a great experience. I'm going to do it again.
1: Good on you. And uh, I'm sure it's a most welcome donation when you finally round up all the products that you're trying to See, donated, and collect yourself. So, are you going back to the well as Rudolph, or what's the plan? <laughs>
4: um, so, this year, I, uh, as much as I love the Rudolph costume, I am uh, changing it up this time around. Uh, this year, I am going out as Julia from Sesame Street. Uh, she's one of the newer Muppets. She came on the scene in about 2017. She's a little five year old who is autistic, just like me.
1: Brilliant. I'm not familiar with that particular character, but that's a nice personal relationship you would have with that Sesame Street character. So that's really cool. So how are you going to do it? When are you starting? Where are you going to be?
4: So uh, just like last year, I'm going to start at around 11, 11.15-ish 11. in the 4 and Street area. I'm going to cover 4 Ann Street, Road Deluxe, and a few of the uh, roads in that vicinity and uh, continue on in St. John's for a little bit, then um, at around probably one o'clock-ish, I'll be back in my home community of CBS, hitting Golden Road, Clooney's Road, Sunrise Avenue, a few of the surrounding streets uh, in, my, in my community. And um, if you want to help me out, but I didn't uh, mention the street where you live, you can feel free to get in touch with me, Um, you can send me an email at Leah, L-E-A-H-M-C-41 at yahoo.ca, or send me a text at 709-631-0505 and say, hey, I want to help you out. This is my address. Uh, Come pick up a donation from me, and I will show up in costume (laughs) next Saturday um and collect uh, your donation
1: good on you so i was trying to write down your your contact info as quick as i could but your cell phone number for a text message is 709-631-0505 and i've got M C 41 at what
4: yahoo.ca yahoo.ca okay
1: Listen, good on you for doing this, and if you want, when you are about to hit the road and you want to give people a heads up that you're heading their way, you send me an email. I'll try to give you a shout-out and keep up with the good work.
4: Absolutely. Thank you so much. So, again, that is going to be next Saturday, October the 22nd. Uh, I'll be going out in my Halloween costume, uh, look for a Sesame Street character, (laughs) walking around in St. John's and CBS, helping out the food bank.
1: Thanks for this, Leah. Good luck. Stay in touch.
4: You're very welcome. Thank you.
1: Pleasure bye bye here we go lee mcdonald hitting the streets collecting some food and or like she said she collected some uh, feminine products last year to be donated as well good for her let's take a break don't go away
4: weekdays on vocm it's open line with your host patty daly join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m to noon on your vocm we get people talking
1: welcome back to the show uh, let's go line number four taking one to the independent member of the house of assembly Serving the folks of Mount Pearl and Southlands, that's Paul Lane. Paul, you're on the air. Good morning, Paddy. How are you this morning? Not too bad, I suppose. How about you?
5: I'm best kind of beautiful day out there. Uh, Paddy, uh, I wanted to uh, call in, um, I guess, to talk about the, um, the uh, NELCOR audit. And uh, I, I want to say, first of all, that uh, while I'm glad it's finally done, um I, I am disappointed that it did take as long as it did It was six over six years ago that i first met with the then after general uh teary and uh, after uh, a couple of meetings a number of phone calls and emails and uh, letters and everything else following up uh he finally agreed to uh, gwind and alcor and that was six years ago and of course we went after that he came and went uh, miss malali came and went then we had an interim uh, Auditor general and uh, finally Miss Hanrahan finished uh, the job and uh, so you know the fact that it took six years is uh you know to my mind is a problem but at least it's done now uh albeit it hasn't been done six years ago perhaps uh, we could have identified some of these things that happened while there was perhaps people and a lot of the players were still involved I don't know if they're still there or, or if they moved on or whatever the case uh, I do want to follow up with your commentary, however, because uh, I think you put it perfectly, and it comes down to the issue of accountability. And uh, unfortunately, uh, at least to my mind, we haven't seen uh, we've seen very little, if any, accountability uh, as of yet. I look at the Moskridge Files inquiry. I look at some of the people who were named by uh, Justice LeBlanc, um, who are still uh, still working, uh, whether it be in core government or. Or for, the uti- or for the utility itself, uh, which absolutely blows my mind how that can happen. There are others who are named that uh, are no longer working, but they still got their big package and uh, sailed off into the sunset and so on. Um, and, you know, seemingly with zero accountability. So I hope we can have some, uh, I'm not holding my breath, but I hope we can have some accountability uh, as it relates to what's been uh, uncovered again this time. Uh, You know, I I know when we talk about the expenses and so on, that's the things that will get the ire of people and that's sort of the low hanging fruit. And yes, uh, people who receive money that they shouldn't have, they should have to pay the money back. Absolutely. Uh, I agree with you 100 percent. And those who approved it need to be held accountable. Uh, I would agree with that. Uh, I would certainly agree with that uh, as well, because if we don't have any accountability, how are we supposed to have any faith or trust in what is now, I guess, NL Hydro and, and, and Oilco, if we're simply prepared to say, oh, well, uh, that happened, too bad, let's move on, let's learn from it. That, that doesn't cause it as far as I'm concerned.
1: In 2007, we put people in jail. Right. Yep. I mean, that's, that's what happened here. The constituency allowance overspending scandal was front and center, day in and day out. And we we were talking about people spending things like on cedar trinkets and old baubles and keychains and junk. And then, of course, the notorious, uh, the lady's underwear and uh, b- purchased by a man. And then there was art and wine and up and down the line it goes. Investigations ensued. People went to prison. And yet, apparently at this case... This cannot be the end of the road. And I know that we're going to be chasing our tail and we're going to be chasing people around who may indeed not be retired, but so what? So what? It doesn't matter to me who you are, where you are, how it got justified or signed off by a manager. We need to know more than just these bare numbers. And good on Denise Hanrahan and the Auditor General's team for doing it, but there's more to it.
5: There's a, there's a lot more to it, Petty. And uh, as, I, uh, as I was saying, the low-hanging fruit and the things that will – get raised people's ire is the whole idea of, you know, this picture. You know, they're picturing in their mind, of course, you look at the state of our finances, our their health care and all people can envision now are a bunch of big wigs smoking with the big old stogies going in the boardroom and all the expensive wine and booze and everything else. And and that's the picture I think a lot of people would get and would be angry about. But to me, the bigger issue, and you you again uh, sort of reference it in your uh, preamble, like we 100%, the bigger issue for me are all these uh, embedded contractors. And uh, so, you know, it's fine to do the audit where they're just basically, you know, sort of just doing samples and stuff. But I would say to Ms. Hanrahan, uh, and I will be saying to Ms. Hanrahan, I'll certainly be raising the House Assembly, uh, that, uh, that you know, if there are issues in particular with these embedded, con- embedded contractors uh, that are noted, I think there has to be a, a, a deeper dive. Um, I'll call it a forensic audit. Perhaps the police have to be involved. I don't know. But we need to get to the bottom of it because I got a feeling uh, that's where, um, you know, people are outraged over over some uh, wine and cigars. But I think that uh, the bigger issue is going to be how that money uh, was spent with all these embedded contractors. And I don't know if it was, you know, how, you know, I don't know if it was done properly or not. It certainly wasn't done properly. I don't know if there was anything done that was, criminal or fraudulent or so on, but I think that uh, we owe the people in Newfoundland and Labrador um, you know, to to find out exactly what did go on, and simply doing a random audit and a few samples is not going to cut it. We need to go much deeper and do more of a forensic audit in that matter, in
1: my opinion. Well, I can tell you what. Uh, I saw a couple of invoices, and I could point to a couple of deals where, uh, that I think warrant further evaluation or investigation, I appreciate yep. the time this morning, Paul. I guess we'll see what the next report brings, but uh, I don't think anyone's just going to let this go by the wayside. It's too big, especially when you factor in exactly what Nalcor and Hydro has meant regarding whether it be Musgrave Falls and all the, the fiasco associated with this, and that's not over yet. So I think that just makes that this piece of or this body of work a little bit more infuriating than it might be in other circumstances, but it's all bad enough, regardless if Muskrat was ever built or a shovel put in that ground. Appreciate the time this morning. Thanks for the call.
5: Thank you, Patty. All the best. And you're right. Uh, you know, it, seems, it, it is a big issue and one would think it's not going to fall by the wayside. But then again, I look at the Muskrat Falls inquiry and some of the people uh, that are still employed uh, by the people of Newfoundland Labrador, even after they were called out by uh, Justice Along. So uh, I'm not going to hold my breath, but I'll certainly be pushing the government to take this further.
1: Appreciate the time. Thank you.
5: Thank you, thank you, Patty. All the
1: best. You too. As Paul Lane, the independent member from Mount Pearl Southlands, there is an update coming this morning from the Minister of Finance, the Deputy Premier, Siobhan Cody, regarding what they've established now is going to be the future fund, the sovereign fund. Money's coming from one time non renewables, i.e., basically the oil industry. Now, maybe some money's coming from the mining sector, which has big future ahead of it. What the Future Fund is going to look like, exactly how it's going to be structured, I guess we find out a bit more coming from Minister Cody later this morning. Let's go ahead and take a break. Do not go away. Welcome back to the show. Uh, let's go line number two. Colin, you're on the air.
0: Good Morning, Mr. Daly. How are you this morning?
1: Very well, thanks. How about you?
0: I'm doing great. I want to talk about the U.S. Senate race in Georgia.
1: Oh, God.
0: Uh, in particular, Herschel Walker. Um. Apparently, the ex-NFL football player is not an ex-NFL football player, according to him.
1: Uh, look, for starters, when I hear hear him speak and watch how he, he acts, there's a big part of me feels bad for Hirsch Walker. And shame on those who have propped him up to be a candidate. Because we know, I mean, if you're a big football star... Where he was, he was the Heisman Trophy winner in 1982. Standout at the University of Georgia, went to the USFL, the NFL. Was a big superstar player, and obviously has suffered greatly with his time inside of that helmet. And they propped him up and put him forward, and it's just you know on that front, I feel bad for him. When it comes to the hypocrisy, and you know it's it's disgraceful.
0: Absolutely, and you know there's there's something clearly uh, on his face uh, medically wrong. <laughs> You know that needs medical investigation he's struggling with him yeah um but to the to the bigger point which you which you raise is the gop is all in on him oh yeah you got you got ted cruz comes out and says well if mr walker and i'm paraphrasing here now if mr walker uh says uh, he never played football well we got to take him at his word.
1: No, we don't. Uh, he, you know? He's got on to say things like uh, he was a valedictorian at his high school but he barely scraped through. Talk about his uh, degree he earned at the University of Georgia. He did not convoke. There's just so many things out there. But I think you know all of those things pale in comparison to his stance on abortion and the realities and his history itself. A uh, former sexual partner of, of his has the receipts. He yep. paid for an abortion on her behalf. to manage to get a second one, and she didn't. So that they have a 10-year-old together. There's more of those stories floating around out there. But they're giving them a free pass. Why? Because they're way more concerned about control over women and power than they are about any sort of hypocrisy. They just couldn't care less.
0: What does that say, though, about the political discourse in the United States, and in particular with this race? If you're the That's Democrat, lost. the incumbent, the incumbent dem- Democrat running against him now, you have to debate him in public. Or in, in a you know a town hall meeting format or something,
1: he's not he's not able
0: to debate the the, the relevant issues, right?
1: No, he's not. Um, you know, another thing that I'll add to this, and I I almost feel bad saying anything about Herschel Walker because I feel terrible for the man when I see him, you know, under the bright lights with a microphone in his hand, is the party is also hell bent for making this position and this point all the time, is that just how many uh, black people are involved in crime because he had a fatherless childhood. When Walker's got a bunch of kids out there that he's never fathered, never done anything with or, f- or for, and yet they will lean on that when it comes to anybody else but Herschel Walker, but they'll give him a pass because he might win a Senate seat. And the Senate and the control of the Senate, as we all see, is if you're a political watcher in the United States, it's pretty much the be-all and end-all. So it's just really terrible. Talk about party over our country at every single turn, regardless of the cost. Regardless of the moral compass, regardless of the bloviating that they all get on with,
0: you know, it does. It uh, really does a, uh, a disservice to the public because the public needs uh, open and vigorous uh, debate. And you have someone uh, who's running for the Senate, which is one of the highest uh, congressional offices in the United States, right? That is clearly not able to uh, to debate the issues in a, in a forthright manner. That's right. And the, and the party uh, McConnell. McCarthy and all the top brass in the GOP—they're looking the other way, and, and that does a great disservice to democracy in general, and, and in specific, uh, specifically to the, the people of Georgia. Right.
1: And we do know that uh, Georgia was a hotly contested state in the most recent presidential election, and lots of shenanigans associated with that as well. And we've seen um, Stacey Abrams and what she's done to be able to register voters. It, you know, Governor Brian Kemp and his foolishness that he gets on with. There's so much on the line. I know there always is, and we say that every single time when an election comes around. But these midterms are going to be a big, big deal. They just simply are. And of course, you will see everyone come to his defense, and the the uh, the evangelicals who preach a big game but walk in shame. And it, it's just a marvel to behold. The
0: hop- the hypocrisy and the far right especially the Christian evangelicals not all of them now, but many of them it's just palpable it's just palpable you talk about you know a, a, a 10-year-old girl who gets raped and has to leave ohio and cross go west across the border into indiana to get an abortion a 10-year-old girl and you've got lawmakers in ohio saying no you know she's not able to do that in her home state a a child, a ten year old, who got raped. You know, is
1: this where we're coming to?
0: Is this the point that we've reached now that, that that is just we're going down the rabbit hole and there's no the point of no return here?
1: Uh sorta. You know And again, there can be conversations and debates about the big issues of our time. In the United States, there's been a line drawn uh, with Roe v. Wade. And now there might be a national abortion ban if things go the GOP's way. But, you know, just think it a step further. Is some of the utterances that have come from some of these candidates and or current officeholders Things like uh, Governor Abbott, that uh, you know, just get over it. Rape and incest are just another way for life lives to be created, and or another candidate. Can't remember the man's name now. Just telling women basically to get over it. You know, it's wild. That's the that's the type of conversation which is just steeped in. Obvious want to control versus have a pragmatic conversation about anything in this world. So 15-week term bans and uh, state lines that must be crossed and morality police that can actually arrest you if you contribute to someone getting an abortion like in the state of Texas. It's just really disheartening to watch. It's so unbelievable. You
0: know, you had the, the uh, health care providers down there, the obstetricians, Anesthesiologists, the uh, the nursing staff, and other other support staff who are involved in women's health, who perform abortions, medically necessary procedures, uh, they're, they're between a rock and a hard place. Now, if they if a woman goes into an emergency room and she has a ectopic pregnancy, and the obstetrician says, I can't perform that because state law says if I do, I'm going to be thrown in jail for 10 years and prosecuted criminally, or if I do do that. I'm going to be prosecuted. If I don't do that and you end up dead, then I'm going to be prosecuted for criminal negligence causing death because I didn't do something that I was under legal obligation to do. Right? Yeah. You know? I mean, really. But nobody discusses that scenario because that's too legal, wonky, you know, woke liberal BS. That's reality. That's what will happen to an obstetrician who either does perform the abortion. You're going to be prosecuted for for uh, for killing the killing the fetus. Yeah. Or if you don't do it, it's criminal criminally negligent homicide if the patient dies.
1: Well, just to put a stamp on this, just got an email from a guy who you know peppers and pesters me a fair bit, saying the lefties are hard at it today. There's exactly your point. That's where we've come to. This is so-called a lefty to point out the obvious hypocrisy, to point the glaring shortcomings, and now it's lefty versus righty. So I'm even amazed someone had thought that was a good idea to send that email based on no one's making things up here, no one's exaggerating. We're using quotes and actual things that have happened, understood, documented. They're on video. So no one's trying to make it a lefty-righty thing except for people like this guy who is just hardcore on the right side of the political spectrum. Like, imagine defending any of this. Why, why, why is anybody doing that? <laughs> anyway, I suppose why. if if that makes me a lefty, in their cer- this circumstance, I'll take it because that's so foolish that it's hard to believe. Uh, last word goes to you before I have to go.
0: You know, it's all about tribal politics these days. Yep. And, and for for the records, even though it's no nobody's business, but I am a liberal, left of center. And when I look at my own country, I look at Trudeau, he's uh, intellectually opaque. He's after bringing in a lot of laws that are or really knee-jerk policy based on like, bad court decisions and things like that, like the Gomeshi, the fallout from Gomeshi. And if you're charged with sexual assault now, you had to turn over letters and emails and text messages to the complainant and her lawyer, her private lawyer, and the Crown, and they get to review that before you even get a chance to go into the trial. Now, And we, when we also have mandatory roadside breath tests now.
1: Look, the shine has gone off, off of Trudeau. I, I try to take them all issue by issue. I'm kind of less you concerned know? with the person as I am the policy. Uh, the right. shine has completely gone off of Justin Trudeau at this moment in time, in my personal opinion. There's lots of big issues that we can rightfully discuss regarding whether it be ethics scandals that he's been involved in, whether it be the Emergency Measures Act, whether it be a Liberal MP thinks we should have an inquiry into the handling of COVID. I'm into all of it. I just want to know how we arrived at where we are. I don't really care who uh, who votes for who. I just care about what we're doing, and I don't care who has a good idea. If it's a good idea, I think we should do it. <laughs> Again, just don't care who brings forward the good ideas anymore. Uh, off I go. I got to get to the news. I'm a bit late, Colin, but appreciate the time. Thanks. Cheers. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Uh, all right, there we go. Some people you don't. Know, people just maybe sometimes don't want to uh, hear some issues that are right in our, not in our right our own backyard, but they kind of stem to our backyard. And the tangential and economic and societal relationship we have with the state is undeniable. I mean, it just is. So and someone else sends a, an email saying, Herschel Walker once pulled a guy from a burning car. Fine. And at, at that day and in that circumstance, he did something that's important and good on him. But now he's struggling. I mean, to say he's not is, I mean, I'm not doing diagnosis of people's mental wellness here. I'm not. But you can tell he's struggling. And based on what? Maybe it's he doesn't believe what, what he says or he feels like he's being puppeteered by some. I don't know. But the poor man is struggling. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we're speaking with you on a topic of your choosing. Don't go away.
4: Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online
0: at vocm.com.
1: Welcome back. Uh, let's go to line number one. Good morning, Dana. You're on the air. Hi,
6: Pat. You're you today.
1: I'm doing okay. Thanks for asking. How about you?
6: Good, not bad for a whole fella. I usually talk about Max Sims, and you know me from there, remember? Oh,
1: yes, sir, I certainly do, the Max Sims camp.
6: Yeah, but uh, when I got, we got not had a camp because of COVID last year, but I'm, I I want to talk about, about the, the hospital I'm in right now. Okay. I mean, as I believe, I know, Chad, a lot of people. you don't hear a lot of good things about hospital, but I just tell you, man, as I believe with the treatment I'm getting in the hospital that I'm in right now, I mean, the doctor and and she, and all the staff from the nurses to the kitchen staff to people on the front this I mean, it's all how treat here.
1: Well, that's good to hear. I mean, you're right too, Dana. Far too often, you know, <clears throat> most times we hear all the bad stuff that goes on. But in large part, when people get in the system, they deal with caring, consummate, dedicated professionals. So I'm glad you're getting the treatment you need.
6: You know, I mean, I'm totally blind and I've had a stroke and perilous on one side. It's unbelievable, man, what they're doing for me here. I'm at the River Kitchen outside so in Port Saunders. I mean, even the kitchen staff, I mean, the uh, meals and the accommodation got certain views I don't like me. It's unbelievable. It's, I mean, if every hospital treats you like this here, you, you'll get good care wherever you go. It's unbelievable.
1: Well, I'm glad to hear. So how are you doing?
6: Uh, you know, Patty, I... I'm not doing too bad. I mean, like, like I said, when you get the care that I'm getting here and the family and friends I got, you can get through anything. I mean, like, it's, it's even people like the social worker I got and people on the front at the hospital and the paramedics. It's, it's just not like a certain person. It's, total, it's like a family here. As i like, like how they treat here. And so what's
1: the scoop? How long are you going to be in? What's the big plans for you?
6: Well, I had to come to have some uh, my prostate and things like that because I was in front of my water and everything. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, Dr. Herfan, man, he's, he's unbelievable. I just don't know if I should have said his name or not, but I tell you, if everybody got a doctor like him, man. they got a good doctor.
1: Well, go and ahead. He's, Who's your doctor?
6: Dr. Herfan. He cares about people, Patty, and that means a lot to me, you know. Of course it does. He comes in every day to check on me. It means, uh, it's, like, it's, like, it's not like a hospital. It's like family.
1: I'm sure everyone who's involved in your care, from your doctor to your social worker and the nursing staff and everybody else, I'm sure they really appreciate and eat, and eat, you offering a kind word.
6: And, eat, and eat the cleaning people. He comes in every day with me, and it's unbelievable. And it's like... Me a no problem. You take your time. I just like to let him know how much he means to me.
1: Well, I'm glad it it means enough to you to uh, call the show this morning. Let us know that you're doing okay and you're getting the good care. And that's
6: that's like really what know. matters. I just like to know how much he means to me. How much I love him.
1: Good man, Dana. You take good care of yourself. Stay in touch. Thanks, man. You're welcome. Cheers, buddy. All the best. Bye bye. Yeah, look, we hear the stories and the ER diversions and closures and wait times and all the rest and It's all very, very real and it's worthy of discussion. Of course it is. But I do every now and then hear stories like Dana where I'm in the system now that I've got a bed and I'm being cared for. And we know, just imagine, if you were working your 24-hour shift, which I know you get an opportunity to sit down and catch your breath and have a bite to eat, hopefully, it's hard to be at your best. It's hard to be delivering the health care that you, you normally would when you've got a little bit easier time and you get a few days off and you get to actually unwind. But good on, Dana. And I hear those stories, and they're worth talking about as well. Let's go to line number three. Will I go to three thoughts? Okay, three it is. Donna, you're on the air.
7: Hi, Patty. How are you this morning? Doing
1: okay. Thanks for asking. How are you doing?
7: That was a beautiful call just now. He's a nice man. Oh, very nice. I'm glad he's doing well. Yeah, me too. Um, I wanted to update you. I called last week about the medical transportation uh, assistance program. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we were talking about, you know, double referrals. Like, she, uh, my mother was in Labrador City, had a letter for an appointment, and her appeal for the, you know, the airfare was denied. That's right. Anyway, I emailed them again, like I had the two appeals, and um, they said uh, the letter was denied. Uh, it was based on the physician not being a specialist, as listed with the College of the Physicians and Surgeons. So this is what, what, I, what I want to talk to you about today. Was then I had the letter from Eastern Health, stating in, in, in uh, giant letters she's a geriatrician. Now is it the thing is it's a geriatrician? Uh, I looked it up. Is a specialist. Isn't that interesting? And. And they're saying, Donna, your letter denying your claim was from the manager and was based on the physician not being a specialist as listed with the College of the Physicians and Surgeons. I'm reading what they said. Now, mm-hmm. the referral was also the second part, which we already discussed. But, it, but that's ridiculous. Like, And then Eastern Health sent me a letter from her office, which I told you, well, I had that, saying she is a geriatrician. So the qu- argument now is, is uh, she's a geriatrician, so it's a specialist.
1: So that actually qualifies as a specialist? I don't know the answer. That's a legitimate question.
7: Yes, yeah, it does. A geriatrician, like, it, well, for instance, if she was in Labrador City, they tested my mother for two hours that from a geriatrician. You couldn't do that in Labrador City, for my argument, too, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting. So the MHA, like, is uh, we sent all the documents to the MHA in uh, Jordan Brown, and uh, he's working on it.
1: I'd be curious to hear letter, what comes
7: they back. They do. They actually use the word specialist in the letter from Eastern Health. Was, they use the word. She specialised. Yeah.
1: Donna, was part of this also? I, I don't know if I'm conflating two different calls. Was also part of this the need to get a second referral for the same type yes, of assistance? Absolutely. Okay. That's exactly. Yes. Okay. Yeah.
7: But yeah. well, I just thought like a fine line now. If what? Who's? It, well, if you're not listed, like if you have to go out for something. You know, now it's going to be tougher, isn't it, to get their funding, I guess, like if they're arguing now about specialists, when you send a letter of proof. I could see them, you know, if I just said she's a specialist, but for me to send them that letter way back from Eastern Health and her office stating her credentials, I don't say she'd be pleased. and No, they don't think she's a specialist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what I said. I said, oh, yeah. I wonder if I should let her know.
1: <laughs> well, I, I would.
7: I am, yes. That's what, I want. that's what I'm going to do next. I'm going to, I'm like a dog with a bone patty.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't let it go either. Uh, well, it makes senior, a lot of sense. You've got a pension, mm-hmm.
7: I think, and, and that's not the reason. Of course, you've got to have valid reason, but why let it go?
1: I can't think of a good reason.
7: No.
1: I do appreciate the update. So just one Even more time. for update, you. Okay, and I do appreciate that, as usual, when we get an update to these ongoing matters. You know, you'd need the referral, and apparently the issue there is if your last visit or referral to that specialist, one specialist or another, was over a year ago, you need to renew the referral, which feels like a make-work project to me when we have all of these demands on our healthcare professionals. I don't know why we're so staunch on that. If I need to see uh, geriatric specialist Dr. Jill Jones... Uh, yeah. 13 months ago, and I got another referral to the same lady, or I have to go back and see her. Based on her request for you to come see her, I yeah. think that asking for referrals kind of is wasting people's time. But, she sent a letter
7: yeah. saying requesting her. Yeah, I had that letter sent to, and, and the government has those letters. Like I sent, there were six attachments to the uh, appeal, yeah. and, and given them letter saying, look, she was requested to come out. Here it is. Is that my word? Here's a specialist. Here's all the credentials, you know, and uh, didn't do a thing.
1: Donna, thanks for this. Stay in touch yes, and just stay like you with
7: us. Uh, if it goes any big, dramatic, I will be back on. I look forward to it. Okay, and you have a nice day.
1: You too, Donna. Bye-bye. Take bye. care. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back now, we didn't mention it off the top of the show this morning, but we know that we're still in the early days of rebuilding in the aftermath of Hurricane Fiona or post-tropical storm Fiona when made landfall. It made landfall here on the southwest coast of the island. A lot of work has been done, a lot of work yet to do, some of the concerns being shared and one of the reasons why the province and the federal government had to step in with some financial supports because some people had insurance and lo and behold, overground water covered, seawater, storm surge, not so much. Judy Morrow was kind enough to put her legal expertise forward for folks who needed advice. She's in the queue with an update right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let us go. Good morning, Judy Morrow. You're on the air. Good
8: morning, Patty. How are you?
1: Couldn't be better. How about you?
8: Not too bad. So I'm just calling to give you an update. Um, as you know, I've been helping some of the people on the Southwest Coast who were impacted by um, with property damage and and loss uh, through uh, the uh, the storm, the hurt of Fiona. And uh, just wanted to, to give you a bit of an update. I've been working with a lot of those people. I guess I've you know taking between emails and phone calls. You know, maybe some forty or so. Contacts that I've made, I've been reviewing documentation and helping them, you know, file uh, claims with their insurance companies, etc. And um, you know, unfortunately, most that are coming back, um, all that I've seen that have come back so far, people are not being covered with their insurance. It's um, it's a very disappointing thing. It's very daunting, actually, when you think about it. We live on an island, and. Um, you know people seek out for the beauty you know uh, ocean front properties and you know ocean view properties only to find out that the, at least the insurance policies that i've reviewed storm surge tidal waves anything from the ocean or any damage from that type of source is not being covered
1: yeah you know so the difference between overground freshwater flooding and sea uh, seawater saltwater storm surge is a convenient place for the insurance companies to find themselves. You know, what's going to happen here, unfortunately, I think, is like the minister responsible said they're dealing with the industry to talk about how they can price and cover storm surge insurance policies. But because the government has stepped in where folks are uninsured, my eerie feeling is that once this all comes and goes, there won't be any advancement with the insurance companies and people will remain in jeopardy. And not everyone can just, you know, up and rebuild wherever they like away from this, the high water mark. So this is going to be an ongoing issue for a long time.
8: Absolutely. It's, it's very concerning. Uh, you know, I would suggest, you know, to all of your listeners, go have a look at your insurance policy. See what includes what it's not so much what's included, uh, Patty. It's what what is excluded and i suspect that you know that this is standard phrasing that's in a lot of the insurance policies now some of them you know they have different wording um, some of them ca- talk about flooding is not covered or they're not covering flooding unless it's, you know, from the break of a water main or something of that nature. But, you know, the ones that I have seen, the majority of them clearly spell out storm surge, tidal wave, tsunami, you know, ocean water, that kind of thing. is just not covered. Now, there are some arguments that can be made in isolated situations. For example, you know, was this particular damage caused by the wind or was it caused by the storm surge? You know, things of that nature. But generally speaking, everyone that I've seen thus far have been declined. And, you know, some of these people, you know, I I talk to these people on the phone and some of these people say, you know, Judy, I've been paying insurance for 40 years. I have never made a claim. And here they are when they need them the most. um, They're declined. You know, it, it really is quite daunting and quite concerning. No question about it.
1: Even when we get to things like uh, sewer backups and things in the middle or the east end of the city, folks just have to be so very careful when they shop around for insurance. Because I think, like most consumers, you land on what the premium is, right? And you hope that you've got covered for what you think you need coverage for. When, in fact, when you're shopping around... Take those additional steps to ask the questions about the things that you worry the most about, whether it be sewer backup or whether it be storm surge or whether it be uh, my, in, my belongings that have maybe not been priced out in my insurance policy when I first crafted it. So just ask the questions so that you don't get caught off guard because not every circumstance are we going to see governments come to your aid. There's been lots of damages suffered where it was between you and your insurance company. If you came up short, you were on your own.
8: Absolutely. And that is the concern. And it doesn't have to be storm surge. You know, what about if it's a hurricane with, you know, flooding from from excess rain and, you know, that kind of a, um, uh, damage to a property? Is that covered? So there's there's all kinds of issues. And what I would caution your listeners is that, as I say, it's not what's included. You have to go to the exclusions under the policy and see what is excluded. And sometimes there's even exceptions to the exclusions. So, I mean, it can be very complicated, but you have you have to question your agent about the coverage that you have and what you're most concerned about. And, you know, and the other thing is to people, you know, some people would go and get this insurance policy, you know, 30 years ago. And you just renew, renew, renew year after year after year after year. And you're not reviewing the fine print and the, the details of the coverage that you've received and that you're paying for.
1: And that's always going to be the trick. So... Where are we? So for the update, I know you've been dealing with some 40 people and trying to help them navigate the system. So where are we with regarding next steps? Because it almost felt a little bit cold for me to say things like, now we have to talk about how and where we rebuild, but that's going to be part of the conversation with the province and the feds and insurance companies too because putting it back in the Mississippi Delta and you didn't get covered last time, you're not going to get covered next time. So right. where are we?
8: Well, with respect to the people over on the southwest coast and the work that I'm doing with them, uh, their next step is if, if they don't have insurance or if they've been declined. And once I've reviewed it and it's, you know, the, the, the primary damage has been caused, has been excluded in their policy, they move on and apply for the government funding, whether it's the provincial government or federal government funding through the Red Cross and take those procedures and steps from there and and hope that, um, you know, with time. And the, listen, these people have been very patient. They're very grateful. That, you know, we're, we're very resilient people as a province. Um, and, you know, it will work out over time for them. And, I, you know, I know that our provincial and federal governments have vowed to be there for them, and I have no doubt that they will. And they just have to, um, you know, rebuild and, and get the community, get the communities that are affected back, you know, back into, you know, proper condition and uh, move forward from there
1: that's about all we can do and so just a reminder because of course it was the headline grabber in front and center when the storm hit and we saw all those terrifying images and videos about houses being swept out to sea and it's bigger beyond that. It's you, The house might be standing but it's absolutely unlivable. So th- that number, I don't even know if we have a final tally, it's got to be around 100 and again, I want to put it out through that, I know it's not just port basque so whether because you're in Rose Blanche or Harbor LaCou or Burgio or wherever you are, the damage is widespread and hopefully we can get back on our feet because this is not only about the bricks and mortars or the sticks to the stages. This has been a traumatizing time for folks. So it's going to take time, not just to rebuild and understand how to do that, but the communities and even folks who didn't suffer any damage. I get an email from a lady who sent me a picture of her home, very close by the water. They got, I'll call it lucky, and didn't suffer any major damage. But now she's terrified. You know. Right. So now what?
8: Right. And, and that's the concern. And, in, you know, and people are now scared. I've gotten calls from people who are not from the southwest coast and asking me to review their insurance policy. People are now worried and they're scared. And you don't have to be from the southwest coast either. Nope. You know, we are an island <laughs> and, you know, we have a lot of coastline and we have a lot of people who live near and, and, and oceanfront properties. And sought out, you know, people, you know, I do a lot of real estate law as well. People who move home from the mainland or move, want to move to Newfoundland are seeking out oceanfront properties. You know, it's, 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 it's the beauty of the ocean. But we have to be very careful, and, you know, something has to be done to ensure that we're able to get adequate coverage for insurance purposes.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to recall uh, your email. I think it's Morrow at nf.aibn.ca.
8: Judy Morrow. Judy Morrow, okay. At nf.aibn.ca. Dot
1: com. I'm sure many people are quite pleased that you put your expertise uh, forward to help them out in a very, I would imagine, overwhelming time for many. The only insurance claim they ever had to file in their life was when they backed into the fence or they had a little dust right. up in a parking lot or something. And right. This is a much right. different Kintel of Fish. Appreciate this, Judy. Thank you.
8: Thank you very much.
1: Take care. Okay, bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. It's Judy Morrow with Morrow, Morrow, and Crosby Lawyers. Uh, let's take a break. When we go back, Junior's there to talk about Muskrat Falls and NALCOR, I guess based on the uh, Auditor General team's review. That's, of course, Denise Hanrahan. Here's the Auditor General, and she's got a team that's working on Looking at what went on in some of those five-year snapshots at NALCOR. Don't go away. Join Brian Medore weekdays at noon for a
4: comprehensive update on news from every corner on all levels. Newsmakers, weather, and more. Join
1: us on your VOCM at noon. Welcome back to the show. Let's go. Line number one, Junior, you're on the air. Good morning, Patrick. How are you this morning? Not too bad. How are you doing? Happy Tuesday. You and That Same to you.
3: Uh, my Fred Falls, Patty, it's, uh, it's, it's bothered me, I think, ever since it was a $5 billion project years ago. And there's no doubt it's been uh, way overspent. But uh, I think what bothered me most, Patty is that some people asked for a plebiscite uh, way back then, and uh, it got shoved down our throat, rushed ahead, probably without an environmental assessment. I don't know. My problem, Patty, is uh, a few years ago I was talking to uh, Alison Coffin, and I asked her, uh, we were about $11 billion in them. Could we sell Mossrad Falls? And she said, yes, she said, we can sell some of it or parts of it. So if there's parts of it that can be sold, uh, Patty, is the, you know, I'm assuming that the government is uh, is aware of it, and we're always looking for a way to uh, uh, get some money back from it. So I was just wondering, can we sell some of it to get some of our loss back? And, and, and uh, even if we have to negotiate with Quebec, and uh, Churchill falls the 2041 deal. And is there any way at all that we can uh, uh, get recoup some of our money, pay back some of our debt?
1: It's an interesting question, and I think the short answer is probably not. I mean, what's it actually worth to somebody? And what does that mean for my rate? Like, I, if it was Fortis or someone came knocking and said they would be interested in purchasing the transmission, which, of course, that's a dangerous piece of business as well, what's it actually worth to someone? And consequently, what does that mean for my hydro bill? Those are questions that I don't think anybody has any answers to. Secondly, you talk about a plebiscite. Just think about it out loud, knowing what we know now from the LeBlanc inquiry, is the government didn't even know everything that was going on. So how could the regular Joe know that everything was going on? People at Nalcor willfully and purposefully withheld important information from the premier, from the minister responsible, from the cabinet. So we would have been having a plebiscite on what?
3: Well, I think, uh, Patrick, at least the people would have had a had a say into uh, if the $5 billion was going to go ahead or not. And by pushing it a little bit further and by having some inquiries into it, maybe we could have found out something. But there was nothing to be found out because it was, it was just go ahead, go ahead, go ahead.
1: People don't like it when I say this, uh, but the day it was announced, the day it was built, There was no derailing that project based on the the determination of whether it be leadership at NALCOR and or the leadership of the provincial government at that time. That was it. And I don't think it's unfair to say that virtually every single member, and at that time I guess there were still 48 members of the House of Assembly, there wasn't a whole lot of opposition to the project. There was opposition to maybe some process. So those are two different things too. But I mean, I remember the talk about referendums or plebiscites on it. And it turns out, sure, even the key people in the province who needed to know what was going on didn't. So we would have been voting on half truths. <laughs>
3: I guess so, Patrick. But uh, just uh, I was just wondering. That's all, and I've always wondered: could we sell some of it, or was somebody even interested in some of it?
1: You're going to see someone come to town. Look, whether it be the hydro X of the world, and something to do with 2041, or Gull Island, or Fortis, or. Amera or somebody, the story is not completely told. But unless that power generated at Muskrat finds a home going north, then west, then the the likelihood of being able to fully rectify the issues on the Labrador Island link are looking bleaker and bleaker. So that's where you'll see the other players maybe kicking tires. And I think the notables are Hydro-Quebec, Fortis, Amera, and who knows who else because... I don't see that power flowing to the island the way it was intended to. What we all understood about the isolated grid, and it had problems, and it needed to be expanded if we were ever going to, say, for instance, expand more wind opportunities. But now what we've got is a really confusing, complex system that doesn't seem anyone's got figured out. And so whether someone wants to come to town to buy it, I don't know. I I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't know what it's worth, and I don't know what that means for my bill.
3: No, and I don't know what it's worth either, Patty. It was just something that I always wanted. But sure. Could sell no sweat. Appreciate
1: Perfect. this, Junior. Anything else you want to say this morning?
3: No, sir. Patrick, you have a wonderful day. You want. Thank you very Same much. Same to you. Take care. Okay, buddy. All, All right. On.
1: Bye-bye. Yeah, those are the next questions. Because we know, and no one wants to hear about it, but that doesn't mean it's not happening. There's been work, very preliminary, but work being done at the Gull site for a long time. And, you know, the whole thing about the uh, Atlantic Loop and the huge opportunities. Like Musgrave Falls, they say it has 824 megawatts of of opportunity for power to be generated. Gull Island, it's more like 2,225. The upper church is like 5,400. So while we look at 2041 and while we look at Gull and while we look at the Atlantic Loop and while we look at our bills, Who knows? There may indeed be a private sector player that becomes a part of this conversation. I mean, I'm not denying it because it sounds like a possibility. But, of course, there will be questions. What's it worth? And what does that mean to my bill? Let's take uh, another call on line three. Rhonda, you're on the air.
7: Good
9: morning, Patty. How are you?
1: Doing okay. How are you
9: doing? Uh, uh, it's it's uh, every bit of strength I had to do this. So, uh, okay. One breath and uh, go ahead. Uh, or i should sorry um yeah I'm telling about my mom Jessie, who passed away on 22nd of august um she initially went in the hospital uh i guess it was about three weeks before again this is kind of blurry to me she went in on a, a sunday or morning early that saturday i was talking to her she was having a great day cooking supper with my sister and just having a fantabulous day and Sunday my sister called me they were after having to take her to the hospital and she was admitted and diagnosed with a UTI and sent home I guess Monday evening whatnot and uh, after that uh, while she was home she suffered a heart attack Uh, we didn't know obviously because mom walked from the ambulance when she returned from the hospital but when she got home she couldn't Lift an arm. She couldn't walk. She couldn't go to the washroom. So the ambulance was called on um, Tuesday morning. And uh, through the jigs and the reels, uh, my sister couldn't speak. They only asked for ma'am. And Mom was kind of delusional at the time. This UTI was very, uh, this was ongoing um, for a long time. But anyway, uh, she saw a patient refusal at home. Uh, the, the, my sister and her doctor continued to work to get her admitted. So she finally got to she left she went to the hospital and got admitted at eight thirty the following day, Wednesday. Uh it was multiple diagnosis, it was a UTI. Uh then her bladder was swollen to the point that she had a obstruction. The obstruction cleared, then it was a blood infection, then it was uh couldn't get an N G tube then, then it was potassium lower. Uh then it might have been cancer, but we don't know. So two weeks in We had to comfort tax, I said that was going to happen, and then they uh, comfort her to death. So our healthcare is now in my mind. Please, no haters, but I just see death care. It's a time, they put it, it's not the beautiful professionals. Dana, oh my God, he brought tears to my eyes, and he is absolutely correct. These hardworking professionals at the hospital, the patients, we don't deserve this. I don't know if Trudeau should go or not, but I know something should go here. I'm not saying who or what, but we do not deserve this. I wrote a letter to Premier in May about my situation and been fighting for me. I never heard anything for him. And now my mom is a statistic. Everybody got to speak up, not just me, not the people on Twitter, guys. We're Newfoundlanders, we're thick, we're tough, we don't need this stuff. Why do we take a hurricane? For for a certain beautiful people, that, uh, God love for and they should get everything that's coming to them in a great way. But why did the premier overlook everybody, it seems, and have a great big announcement that, yes, we're doing this for these beautiful people, and he didn't kind of address the underlying issue that's been brewing for years. So it's a hurricane that got some people help. What is it going to take for the rest of us? And God bless I'm um, for you 100%. I wish you got more. Now, Patty, I'm going to breathe if you don't mind. So I'd love for you to talk a bit. Thank you.
1: I just want to make sure that I understood the first part about your mother. So there was confusion or an inaccurate diagnosis before she was able to get the treatment or help she needed? Is that what we're saying? Uh,
9: well, uh, okay, I'll say it a little bit clearer. So when she initially went in, she had had a history of many months of a recurring UTI. So the doctors uh, diagnosed the UTI when she went initially on the Sunday morning, and when they sent her home, they said, yeah, well, she's going to have some delirium with the UTI, et cetera. And so they were fine. Uh, my, my mom went home and, you know, she walked from the ambulance or the car, again, I wasn't home, into the house. And between that time, I guess Monday and Tuesday morning, she had suffered an undiagnosed well, a heart attack. Now, we're not professionals. Nobody knew. That's why the ambulance was called. So the ambulance was called. Uh, and Tuesday morning, that's when they uh, kind of said, well, Mrs. Fry, how are you feeling? Well, I'm better than you. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to say her name. And um, so they said, well, it might be a long wait. You know, it's a very long wait in the waiting room. And obviously, you got an 80-odd-year-old lady who just had an ugly experience just health-wise. She's like, yeah, I'd rather stay home. Well, so she signed a patient refusal and up Tuesday morning. um. And I think Wednesday afternoon, the ambulance picked her up and she was finally had bed in what well, was in the ER um, uh, that evening. Uh, so first it was a UTI. Then there was an obstruction. They found the obstruction was caused by a bladder swollen to the point nobody there had ever seen it. So that was cleared up and seemed to be getting better. Oh man was joking with me. She was fantastic. she went in the hospital good and she got sicker as she went in now i'm a i had COVID. I got two tooth infections. I really had to distance myself obviously uh but i I heard from the doctor a doctor myself that one thing was a blood infection. Now when we were given the d n r the comfort tax. I raised that point to another doctor because I don't know how many doctors that I've seen. And I was only in there a lot less than other people do to help. But he said, "Mm, blood infection. Mm, No, I don't think that the final thought was they thought it might be cancer, but they couldn't do a scope. Manya within two years, like pre, I'm not sure a timeline, but I know she had a scope done within the past two years and she was clear. So, I don't know, it's just like a big, nobody knows uh, what the other person do is doing, I guess. <sighs> I'm sorry, i just got to breathe. You can respond, please, Tori.
1: Well, it's hard to know what to say to people's personal sad circumstances. Beyond, I'm sorry for your loss. I think I have something similar in our family where there was, An inaccurate diagnosis, and by the time it was discovered exactly what was ailing, in this case my father, uh, it was too late. And so I think there's a lot of this happens, and of course we're dealing with humans and human error. That's not a defense of anybody, but that's what happens sometimes when we're trying to get to the bottom of why someone is sick, whether or not it's a recurrent urinary tract infection or whether or not it's something new that hasn't been discovered, uh, diagnosed, and then a treatment plan put forward. So I'm ultimately just... Able to say that I'm sorry for your loss. And I'll let you have the last word, Rhonda. You, you go right ahead.
9: And Patty, uh, thank you so much. And I'm sorry for your loss. But the big thing that I'm calling in about is since my mom died, the first time I had strength to go for a whack, I, I there's a gentleman that takes the wax the same route. And as I was telling him about my situation, his sister's mother-in-law was identical. The only difference in the whole thing was they thought it was a brain issue there's so many people going in with utis that don't come out of hospital i wish the public would really pay attention guys utis are killing more people on twitter it's unreal how many people i've spoken with has people pass away from a uti my god a uti it's not cancer it's not a stroke it's uti that's Mm -hmm. not
6: right
1: no. Uh, if people are dying unnecessarily with one thing or another, then it's a conversation worth having. Uh, again, I'm sorry for your loss, Rhonda, but I appreciate your time this morning. You take good care.
9: Thank you so much, Patty. God bless, her peace to us all.
1: All the best. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. Don't go away. And welcome back to the show. Let's try line number one. Tom, you're on the air.
10: Hello there, Paddy. How are you doing this morning? I'm fine, Tom. How about you? But I had better days. But anyway, I want to talk about the social assistance. I am getting $91.50 every two weeks to live on. So, mm-hmm. I, after contacting my MHA and this one and that one, and my respects goes out to Tom Hederson. He was one of my... Best MHA, and he was my school teacher. And no word of a lie, I can't seem to get anything done.
1: So what are you trying to have done? Just an increase to the amount of money you receive? Yes. The whole system needs to be revamped. You know, we've got all these little boutique tax cuts and these little different pots of money that people can apply for the social safety net. And... The, I mean, people aren't able to keep the wolf away from the door. I mean, I know oh. folks who are squarely in the middle class. I'm not 100% sure what middle class means anymore, but I would deem them to be in the middle class. And now with a bit of a rate hike at the Bank mm-hmm. of Canada, now with what we've seen for food inflation about 10.8%, now what we yeah. see would it cost to fill up uh, the car and the furnace uh, the furnace tank, oil tank, yep. then yep. boys or oh boys, people on social assistance, I have no earthly idea how they're doing it.
10: No, I don't know either. But like you say, now, $91.50. Now, what am I going to buy out of that? A few groceries, and that's about it. And I went to a food bank, and I was say, this lady said to me, she said, can you bring in your, re- uh, your uh, monthly earnings? I said, here you go. Oh, my God, she said, how do you make ends meet on $51.50. And I'm going to tell you what, now I got a good MHA, and she's trying to do her best, but the way I look at it, I got to speak my mind, and no word of a lie, it's getting to the point that I'm going to have to do something more about it.
1: Yeah, like what?
10: I don't know be honest with you that's the reason why I called you mm-hmm. how can you help
1: me out well I don't really know because I do think it's a wide broad sweeping problem where social assistance simply isn't working the way it's intended to work now no you know people can say well there's some folks on social assistance who don't belong on it they should be out there working for a living and that's true yeah. that's some people but I, I don't think that's most people I think it's some people and then you've got people who are abusing the system because they're working a couple of side gigs Uh, for cash on the barrel head, and that's hurting. So if we weed people out who shouldn't be on it, then we're left with a smaller number where we can just re-examine or re-imagine how it works because at this moment in time, you know, people will say, and I think fair, fair enough, that the government is not flush with money. The government doesn't have as much money as people would like them to have to give to them, whether it be in social assistance or otherwise, but I guarantee yeah. you, when you factor in what happens if people are hurting and poor and then they have the numbers of interactions with the healthcare system, the criminal justice yeah. system, before long, we're paying out big dollars that we could maybe avoid if we did a little bit better.
10: Thank you very much, Patty, and I'm going to tell you what. Uh, it's getting to the point that there's this poor people like me and a good many more around, and I had a bad injury back in 2015, and to be honest with you, I can't even hardly walk. And to be honest with you, I got one thing to say. At least I got me health anyway, and I likes to cook, and one thing about me, I'm not hungry. That's one thing about
1: well, I'm glad to hear at least that.
10: Yep, yeah. and I'll I, and I be honest with you. I got a cat, and he's well looked after.
1: Nice to have a bit of company in the house. Oh, no,
10: you needn't worry. But anyway, Patty, you have a good day, and I'll talk to you again, okay? I
1: appreciate that. I look forward to it. Okay, buddy. Take care. Okay. You're, you're welcome. All the best. Okay. Bye. Oh, Time. That was a little bit quick on the button. Now, I don't want to uh, rip Sharon off here with very limited time. Because we do indeed have to try to hit the brakes on time, which I do my best. I'm usually not that good at it. But we'll see if we can keep uh, working on it. The issue with social assistance, and look, people will say, okay, who's on it? Why are they on it? Fair question. And there are some people on it who absolutely could indeed be entering the workforce. And then we'll say, well, you know, what does uh, entry-level wage look like? A minimum wage, and why would I do it? Look, you can indeed see yourself move up the chain, get some additional training where I think we kind of lose focus a little bit. If anyone really wants to get off a social safety net and is willing to try to develop some skills to have a better job than maybe simply going to, you know, the ones people talk about all the time, pouring coffee, flipping burgers, then maybe we just try to do better on that front. You know, a couple of things. There's a cyclical nature to uh, social assistance sometimes too, which we kind of need to nip in the bud. You know, a couple of quick ones that I think and I, I mention when I can is, you know, like, if I had my druthers, we wouldn't be letting people quit school when they're 16. We'd do everything we possibly could to support you the very best we could to try to ensure that you at least get your high school and or your GED because for the most part, gone are the days when you can just, you know, make your way, meaningful, gainful employment. If you don't have some additional training, whether it be vocational training in the trades or some sort of post-secondary or some sort of program that slots you into somewhere where you can advance and make some real money and... Those types of things. Anyway, let's go ahead and take a break for the 11 o'clock news. When we come back, we appreciate Sharon's patience, and then we're looking forward to speaking with you on a topic of your choosing. Don't go away.
0: Weekday
4: mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy,
1: newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. And welcome back. Let's go to line number two. Good morning, Sharon. You're on the air.
11: Good morning, Patty. It's my first time calling.
1: Welcome to the program.
11: May not be my last, but anyway. My issue this morning is, um, I got a call on Friday, uh, from the social services saying that the family, alternative family that is looking after our daughter, who is 41 years old with a disability, is no longer going to provide service for us. And of course I go to the family and the thing is with them, and I've known this for the past over three years that they have had her. They get no respite care, and the workers that they get from an agency is little or none. They're calling in sick. They're not showing up for work, and she just can't carry on no more. She can't care 24 hours for a, a disability person, 41 years old, and be able to do a good job, but at the same time fight the system to try and get help.
1: Sharon, what type of help uh, was she getting that's now been taken away?
11: Help? Oh, she's got the best place that she, we've ever had in the 41 years we've had her. She's in a home with uh, that is a beautiful home, new home, downstairs. She's away from food, which she needs to be because of her disability. Uh, she's Prader-Willi syndrome. And anyone who wants to look that up online will find out that that's a challenge and with no she got a little kitchen to do her dishes, but that's all she got there's no cabinets with food in it uh they sleep with alarm system, and so the alarm will go off if she gets up to try to go anywhere and uh this is where she's at she's in a perfect situation with us at our age now is over 70. We thought that we were going to be able to die with knowing our daughter was taken care of and loved by this family. We have ab- every absolute confidence in this family. It's just are not getting the help. Regarding the respite homes that she needs, we have helped her. And, and of course, both of us don't feel that that's right. She needs respite once a month, at least every six weeks. Why is it? I've talked to respite care home. I know some of the women who have worked for us and took care of Chantel on a weekend. You know what they get? No. I can tell you okay. they get thirty four dollars for twenty four hour care from Friday afternoon till she's picked up Monday morning. Can you believe that? Not
1: really. So I just want to make sure, Sharon, that I'm hearing everything you're saying. So is something now changing all of a sudden to reduce the care that Chantelle is getting? Or they simply have not been getting the support for a long time now, and they're running out of steam? So I yes. just want to make sure I know what we're saying.
11: That's exactly right, Patty. Okay. They're running out of steam. They're, they're still available. They have the, the place for her and everything, but... They're running out of steam. They're fighting the system. They're doing everything they can, and they're they're exhausted. And as of the 27th of October, we have to shatter our daughter's life by telling her, you're going to be homeless. Because if we bring her back home, Patty, which is what a parent wants to do with all their heart, I've been down this road before, I've took her home. The social services have dropped her off to me and have said, give us two weeks, we'll find a place. You know she was in our home for two and a half years.
1: Has anybody been in the home she's living in now to do, like a social worker, to do an assessment for what kind of home care support or respite care she needs? Has anybody actually formalized any of this?
11: Absolutely.
1: And so what was the result of that? What has anybody said to you?
11: They said the money is not there. They they she have had meetings with social workers every uh, six weeks or whatever she needs to have the meeting with the social worker, and and uh, the same with the home, like where they provide the respite care because they got a different person for every little different thing. So and, and there's nobody out there to take to do respite. Uh, that's what she's been told. There's nobody out there that will do respite. Well, no, they're not going to do it for $34. Why don't they all give the people who's willing to work with, with our alternative family care home, give them some money to take this girl for a weekend to give them a break, to give them a chance to draw their own breath, and to take her back and start on a brand new six-week before it so began to even have that to look forward patty that is absolutely wonderful i've been there and i've cared for her and i've gotten respite care but just to get me through my days to be able to look forward to somebody taking her for a weekend is what got me through the two and a half years that I had her home. And I know this family's feeling exactly the same way.
1: I'm sure they are. You know, there's a, a couple of different professions where we simply uh, don't pay for the job they do and the jobs are so important. So whether it be someone who's a home care provider, Especially when we're talking about someone who has a high level of need. Uh, And then even if you take it right to the other end of the spectrum and talk about an early childhood educator, we're not paying people enough to do what they're charged to do. Because if I'm putting my loved one in your hands and you are going to do a good job as a dedicated professional, that person deserves to get paid appropriately. Same thing when I send my child to your daycare, your early childhood education uh, setting. I want that person to be paid for the work they're doing because it's important. Okay. We're, we're giving them the responsibility which is absolutely enormous, whether it be a child and or someone like your daughter and or a senior who needs some oversight or additional help in the home because we're either going to have to do a few equations here. Either people are going to end up in long-term care facilities or they're going to end up in acute care facilities or they're going to get supports to stay at home. If we do the math on it, and it's unfortunate we're doing math on something about dignity and health and safety, but if we do the math on it, it's going to be more expensive to house them in an institutional setting than it is probably to give them the kind of care they need. So is that where we're headed here with Chantel, is into a long-term care facility?
11: Well, that's where we would like her to go at 41 then we wouldn't really know she's taken care of and she's going to be okay when something happens to us. But in in going back to what you just said, Patty, paying for at home, families don't get anything.
1: No, I know. I remember it was then Premier Dunderdale, I believe, that talked about paying money to family members or giving them the ability to work towards, say, employment insurance or some sort of additional supports because they are covering what the government could and should be doing. So we've got a plan for this future, too, because I know that we have a, a, a unique set of circumstances for Chantel. But when we look at the age of the population, where we're heading, we've got to prepare, you know, because it's going to be chaotic and more expensive if we don't do things like understand uh, how many seniors and where they are and where the, where they'd like to be. If we don't understand the forecast for folks... That are going to eventually have Alzheimer's or dementia because these things are happening we've been told repeatedly by people who know what's happening they're giving us a chance to prepare so we've got to listen to them we got to do what we've got to do if people are all about money fine after the fact 11th hour chaotic reaction is always 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 going to cost more it's going to cost more money it's going to cost more anguish it's going to cost more grief and frustration so getting out in front of what we see happening is just going to be so huge. It really is. Sharon, What what's involved in trying to get a placement in a long-term care facility? Is it once again going down uh, the social worker road for an evaluation?
11: I haven't, I haven't looked in that area because uh, just talking with people, I understand you have to be at least 55 to go in these places.
1: I didn't. I didn't realize that. I thought there was all kinds of examples where a setting like a long-term care facility is appropriate, regardless of if you've hit the age of sixty-five. I don't know. Let me look into it. Okay. I'll do that if I can. I know.
11: Uh, in in our daughter's case, like she she's well capable of bathing herself, keeping herself clean, looking after herself. She can do her laundry, but this eating thing. And Patty, I'd like you to look that up online. Prader-Willi syndrome and just see what's involved I mean
1: uh Sharon how do you spell it so I make sure I'm looking for the right thing
11: it's W-I-L-L-I syndrome it's the name of two doctors that came up with the problem with these children being born uh the hypothalamus is deleted in the brain they have no concept of Uh, They don't know when they're full. They're hungry all the time. So they're on a rampage for food continually. So you have to watch them daytime. You have to watch them nighttime and have an alarm system that will go off if she enters the kitchen. And we have lived with this for years. And. Just couldn't do it no more.
1: Let me have a look around, and I will indeed have a look for Prader-Willi syndrome just to understand exactly what I'm talking about and thinking about. Uh, I appreciate your time. If anything develops, though, Sharon, we'd appreciate an update.
11: I have a meeting, or supposedly having a meeting, either tomorrow or Thursday, with the social services to decide on what they're going to do with our daughter. They They don't know where they're going to turn, honestly. That's what I've been told, but I tell you, I'm going full circle with this. I'm on the line with you. I've sent off emails to the Premier and to the MLA, whatever Brian Warren, Springdale, and I'm telling you, I'm not going to stop until I find out who's passing the buck. I call Horwoods; they says we got no worker. I call the family; they don't. They need help. They need workers, competent workers. They're exhausted. Where do I go? I I don't know what to do anymore. I'm just.
1: I'll have a look around. Make sure I know what I'm talking about when it comes to long-term care placement, and also for Prader-Willi syndrome right. and whatever else I can think of. But uh, once again, if you can give, share an update when you have one available, and I if will. I find out anything helpful, I'll connect with you personally.
11: I will, and I tell you, for everyone out there that believes in prayer, our daughter is going to be shattered. uh, when she's told on the 17th that she no longer is going to stay with a family that she calls mom and dad and loves them with all her heart. And uh, this is something that's tearing the life out of me, and it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do, but I'm not going to stop because of my age because I can't bring her home, and I have to tell her that. You see where I'm coming from? I do. I'm backed in a corner, and I need... The government, social services, step up to the plate. Not only look after my daughter, but look after the ones that's out there. And all of those Ukrainian precious people they've brought over, give them a place to live. Let them look after my daughter and other people's daughters and and boys that need help. And pay them for doing the job. I'm sure for what the, the government have done for them, they're willing to go above and beyond to help out. I... Send some out in our area, please. We need we need help.
1: I appreciate the time, Sharon.
11: Thank you, Patty. Take care. All right,
1: All bye right. right. Bye-bye. bye-bye. Let's take a break. Don't go away. And welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number two. Good morning, Sean. You're on the air.
12: Oh, hi. Good morning, Patty. How are you doing? Not too
1: bad. Thanks. You?
12: Oh, fantastic. Actually, beautiful day out there. Uh, Patty, I just want to make some uh, quick comments uh, about Muskrat Falls. I heard Pauline on this morning. I didn't get to read... I guess it was the auditor's report on what they're saying. Although, you know, fact is, I think the whole world knows what's going on at Muskrat Falls, and now finally it's becoming out uh, formally and written uh, in print. But I'm just going to say a couple of things, uh, and not going to be long-winded about it. Uh, Fact is, there was never any justification for Muskrat Falls in any way with regards to the power consumption. Either the province had or was planned to have, and this was done by, these studies were done by a number of people, uh, and sure enough, it proves right now that we had no increased demand that we, that could have justified such a massive development. Um, I'm just gonna say, I work in the scientific world, I've been on before, um, and what I, when, when you work in the scientific world, there's a process called the scientific method, and it's a simple methodology where you collect information Uh, interview people, do research, and you come up with hypotheses about things and uh, about why something happened, what justified an event. And then the challenges after that is not to prove it, it's to disprove it. Uh, And that's how the majority of the scientific world world operates. Um, And we're dealing with a project now that probably for the last three and a half years um, has not worked. Are you still listening? I'm just listening. Oh, okay. Sorry, I got another beep coming in, which looks like you. Uh, and uh, we've had, it's been told to me by people who are involved in the project that there was, um, oddly, for payroll and travel, other companies that were set up that nobody seems to know who they were to deal with all the payroll. For some reason, Hydro did not seem to have the competence or the ability to handle such menial tasks. So I'm going to throw out something, Patty. It's a hypothesis. And here's my hypothesis, that Muskrat Falls was, and this is, this, is, this is not a statement, it's hypotheses, and I want somebody to disprove this. Muskrat Falls was nothing but a Ponzi scheme set up to divert massive amounts of monies to the chosen. Masses of money has been wasted because of this. And here's a simple question: We're all hearing about these numbered companies, and you know, somebody just cavalierly says we can't find out who owns these numbered companies. Oh, really? You can't find that out. I think that's BS, Pat. But here's the, here's the thing we need to do: Go to the top four people, including the VP that's there now, and, and ask them this simple question: Do you or anyone? who you are related to or have influence on have a numbered company. The second question you ask them, which may negate the need for the first one, are you willing to take a lie detector and go on oath to that? And, Patty, that's all we need to find out, and that's all we need to know about today. We are continuing to dance around what really Muskrat Falls was about, and the fact it was supposed to cost six and a half billion, I think, and God knows what it is now. If they're reporting fifteen, you know, it's probably twenty two or something like that. But Patty, at what point are we gonna stop dancing around the real questions and get to the meat and potatoes of who has the money? That's all I need to say today.
1: Well, I think that's basically all we said off the top of the show this morning. Yep. Is we can be romanticized or you know, drawn in by talk of liquor and tobacco and humidors and parties and 272 bottles of liquor and all that stuff, which is important, and we should factor it in. And then there's caps that were blown away, whether it be for parties or moving expenses, and we should demand that money to be repaid. But it is absolutely the embedded contractors which are the biggest part of the first part of their support. There's no doubt about it. It really truly is the largest part. At one point, there was, only f- there was over 500 embedded contractors, as opposed to hiring them on at far less cost to the taxpayer, and how they got the contract, who they are, what the relationship was with anyone at Nalcor, whether or not they were former members of the government. Uh, There's a lot more yet to be gleaned or understood on this front. There's no sense glossing it over because a lot of people got rich while the rest of us simply got poorer. It's no doubt about it. I mean, it's just as plain as the nose on your face. So... You know, someone or many people have suggested via email this morning that there needs to be criminal investigation. Well, we're led to believe that after the LeBlanc inquiry, some files were turned over to the RNC. What's the status of them? I have no idea. Do we now understand more where we may indeed need to turn over some more files to law enforcement? I don't know. Maybe. But when you add in just what that price tag is now and... Yes, the amount of partying and what have you that went on on our dime while we're staring down the barrel of an enormous kilowatt charges, per kilowatt charges on our bill, we should be infuriated. So whether it be people think that it's time to take to the streets regarding health care well, or muskrat. What?
12: it is, It is time to take to the streets. Like how okay. much longer are we going to go on letting them drain us and... Whoever put this project together with software that that didn't work, the condensers at Soldiers Pond don't work. There's issues with the turbines that they have. The the towers are falling down in the winter. Like, this is just insanity. And then we still go on with, I don't know who was behind it, it was Andrew Parsons, converting MUN, which was a highly efficient oil-fired furnace setup, to convert it to Holyrood, which is about 30% less efficient. Like, this is just not brain insanity but patty the key thing that we have to do is flip how we're looking at this don't we don't want to prove something make the statement this was a ponzi scheme there are numbered companies out there who have who made huge amounts of money needlessly in how this project was managed and somebody disproved that that's not so
1: appreciate the time sean thanks for the call okay Thank you. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, what's next steps is the, you know, I think that's the very next question is where do we go from here? Because I, I think whoever's pointing out the fact that it's the issue surrounding the embedded contractors will make the monies spent on liquor, tobacco, humidors, moving expenses, will make them look like very, very small potatoes. You know, not that they should be dismissed, but start with the big numbers and go from there. Uh, let's take our final break of the morning. Don't go away. And we'll back to the show. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, Elizabeth. You're on the air.
13: Oh, yes. Uh, I'd like to express something uh, to see if you could g- give me some advice which way to turn. Sure. Um, 2006, I had a kidney transplant, right? And um, this is emotional. So... Uh, Things were going pretty well, and then the kidneys started failing, and uh, then I lost my eyesight, and a lot of things just piled up on me at one time. Uh, Now I'm getting old age pensions. I've had contact some people to see if they could help me. Uh, I really need home care. Everybody keeps saying I do, but the system says I don't. Um, Now I go to St. John's to the health science for dialysis three times a week. I have to pay $100 if not more to go in and out and uh, cuz is black solid over here mm-hmm. and um I've asked them for help uh no one seems to want to help me uh I even went to the D- D- Pam Parsons, I think her name is that's right I'm not used to this because I always looked after myself and um uh, I never asked much of anybody and my friend said to me, oh, "Why don't you phone Patty Daly on the open line?" I said, "No, I don't want to be doing that. Everybody'd be hearing what I'm talking about,
1: right?" Yes, yeah, okay. I, I think the story will be common enough that if I was you, I wouldn't worry too much about that, Elizabeth. Because if we I'm, can get you some help, we're going to do that. So, well, when you say help, are you talking about? Cover for
13: transportation okay. or something back and forth.
1: Right, that's what I was going to ask. Whether or not you're looking for, for instance, home dialysis versus the opportunity to get some of your costs covered for medical transportation.
13: Yes, I appreciate that more than ever.
1: Have you applied for the coverage first?
13: I've been. Oh my gosh, I got so many phone numbers there. I don't know which way to turn, and now I got them all mixed up. But I know Susan. Galloway, another woman named Susan, the transplant clinic has been trying to help me, CNIB. They all think that I should have had home care years ago, but the system thinks I shouldn't.
1: Yeah, the system doesn't always make the right decisions. Um, So, uh, again, just to make sure that I'm not going to give you something redundant, have you actually made a formal application to the medical transportation assistance program?
13: Uh, well, I, I don't know, like, I've told the girls that phoned me and they made out uh, applications and uh, some of them I signed because I was there and some of them I didn't. They just went over the phone, like, right?
1: Okay. So, I, I again, I don't want to uh, set you down a path that you've already gone down, but there is a formal application process to get some of your transportation uh, costs covered. And uh-huh. I don't know if the women that you spoke with filled out those applications. It sounds like they probably did. But I have a number for this particular outfit, and it's the only way, the only path to go down. I don't know if you use email, which I have a really simple address, but I do have a phone number as well.
13: I don't because the problem is I don't know how to see. I don't have anything like that, right? Okay. And uh, there is a friend that comes over every now and then and gives me a hand. But I have to tell you the truth. I'm not very trustworthy in friends anymore and uh as i had been taken in a couple of times before uh money took from me uh, i mean i can't see if you come in here now and take half was here i wouldn't be able to see you going out with it right and, and and that's what a couple of people have done to me right i hate mm-hmm.
1: to hear that story that really boils my blood to know oh, that my, you've i'm been telling you, the it
13: supposed to, to be my friend right and, Okay. Well, I could uh, manage to see this, and I could take down that number. Okay,
1: take this number, and if it's not the right place for you, you let me know. I'll get you something else to, to go for. Okay.
13: All right. Thank you very much.
1: Okay. So this one is One eight seven seven.
13: Four seven five.
1: Four seven five. Two four. Two four. One two.
8: One two. Okay.
1: Yep. So well,
13: I'll try that because I, I, mean, I got more numbers there now than I got anything else here. Yeah,
1: try that one next, and yeah. if it's if it's on file, that's someone that you spoke with has already filed an application on your behalf. If it's something else you need on top of that, if you call and speak with David Williams, the producer, tomorrow morning and give him an update, if it's not satisfactory to what I just gave you, you let me know. I'll get you something else.
13: All right. Thanks a million. You're welcome. All right. Bye bye. Take
1: care. Bye bye. Yeah, we'll see if we can get that figured out. Uh, let's go. Last word goes to line number four. Amanda, you're on the air.
14: Hi. 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 I'm I'm calling because I'm I'm very frustrated and stressed out, sir. Um, I had a fire on July 25th. I was displaced. Lost all my furniture. Lost everything in my home. I have um three children, two that are constantly with me, two and a seven-year-old son. I was put in emergency services uh, with hotels, and Red Cross took me in for three days in a hotel. I'm now living in a shelter since August. Um I just uh, I turned down a place with Livingstone for housing the other day because the bedrooms are not adequate. They're on different levels of the house. Um, my son has conditions to where I have the constant supervision for him um, because I he tends to hurt himself or my my son or uh, my daughter or, or me. Um, they, I was just talking to Newfoundland Housing. They just came here to the shelter to have a conversation with me about it. Um, they're telling me that if I don't take that place, even though it's not suitable for me and my kids, one of the bedrooms is down in the basement, pretty much, where you can walk out through the back door and go right down to the Delta Hotel, right downtown. Um, they're saying to me if I don't take it, that I'm going to be removed from the shelter and be on the street.
1: Okay, so have we spoke before, Amanda?
14: No, but I I had a I had a thing on V O C M, uh um, it was up on V O C M there a, a few weeks ago because I was trying to find something and I couldn't find anything because I couldn't get anything to rent. I want no one would rent me, um, and I'm trying to get housing and there was nothing coming available. This comes available and they expect me to take this where it's two bedrooms on one level, no bedroom on the in the basement, like almost in like a dungeon.
1: Amanda, and, uh, so, and I'm only asking this just to make sure I'm on the right track. Yeah. So... Have you asked the question of housing that if I take this and you know that I need a a place that's more suitable for my life circumstance, that I can be on a waiting list? Because homeless is not going to work for anybody, regardless of the configuration of this place. So have you asked what a waiting list looks like if you take this one for the time being?
14: Well, their their protocols are a year wait. Okay.
1: Is there an opportunity for maybe to have a heavily populated bedroom and not even use the one downstairs? Is that something you can manage while you try to get through this tough time?
14: That—that's the other thing. Um, For that, I'd have to have—they're on a different level. So my living room and my kitchen is on one level, and then you have to go down twenty-five flights of stairs to go down to the next level of two bedrooms and the bathroom. And then you have to go down another flight of stairs for the only bedroom that's next to a laundry room, which leads out to the back yard to an alleyway, to it goes down to the delta. With my son's conditions and issues, I can't have him in the same bedroom as my daughter as well, because they need constant supervision. Like for where he does have aggression and 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 stuff, and he does have um, ADHD and ODD. So like I like I like I told him I said it's, it's it's like it's it's not a sufficient for me and I mean I'm waiting on doctors' notes from from his doctors the with that with issues and conditions with him and and they told me today that if I don't take it and even if they don't even know if the doctor's note is gonna work and if I don't take it they said that. You will have to be removed from the shelter. So, you're telling me that I'm being forced to be on the street with my kids because I can't take something that's not safe. Like, I have to take the safety considerations in to my youngest, who is two years old, and to my son, who is seven years old.
1: Yeah, now I can I look. If, if, if it ends have, up.
14: I can't watch them if I'm on a different level of the house.
1: If it ends up that you end up there, I can get someone to come over and put on. Uh, a chain lock way up at the top where no one can reach it but you so if that if push comes to shove i'll make sure that that back door is safe enough where you don't have to be sleeping with one eye open and one ear to the ground so let me when's the doctor's note going to be given and when's the doctor's note going to be ruled on at housing
14: i was supposed i'm supposed to get it sometime today i'm waiting on their call um i was talking to them on thursday and I, I told him this on Thursday that I'm waiting on the doctor's notes to state that, that with the constant supervision that my son needs and okay. the safety of my, my, my daughter as well because, I mean, I can't be on a different level and have him upstairs by himself with my daughter because I'm not sure if he's going to hurt her or because he, he's very impulsive and he does things that... I mean, like, he was at school there last week and he left, he left his classroom without even notifying anybody.
1: Amanda, oh, when the doctor's note process unfolds, you let me know where we stand then. How about that?
14: Yes that'd be great sir. okay do I'm that so stressed. I'm, I, like, I mean my whole life has been uprooted and, and gone I know I've lost, you know and I mean <laughs> it's not that I don't want to take it I gotta watch the safety of my kids and I gotta watch my safety of my daughter and top of my safety of my my son. I mean, Amanda. Like, it's just not adequate understood. It's
1: not ad- Uh, Simply because of the time on the clock, we'll have to wait for an update when the doctor's note process unfolds, unfolds, but you let me know what goes on there. I will, sir. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Good luck. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right. uh, We will indeed pick up this conversation again tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, Fonce King, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy day. We'll talk in the morning. Bye-bye.